0: Car repair, the nightmare of the Western world. You don't know the difference between the catalytic converter and the powertrain, the carburetor and the camshaft. You've been ripped off endlessly by unscrupulous mechanics who've charged hundreds or thousands of dollars. You're sick of feeling like a complete idiot and you just don't want to take it or pay for it anymore. Well, your life's about to change. Meet Pam Oaks, ASE certified and top-notch auto technician host, shop owner, and author of Car Care for the Clueless, or How to Make Money While Maintaining a Vehicle. She'll answer your questions and teach you how to talk car talk. Get under the hood right now with Pam. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. On this week's show, we're going to have my pal, Pablo Sarmiento, Master ASE Certified Technician, L1, of course, and we have a little automotive history that we're going to go over regarding transmissions. We're going to explain in layman's terms how it works and how it's very, very important for you to maintain this. We go back in history, like we said, it's a little automotive history lesson, and explain to you how the automatic transmission that we know and love today is here to stay. We want to thank our sponsor for the first half. In case you are in need of a transmission, Jasper Engines and Transmissions. Jasper Engines and Transmissions, 100% associate owned. And like I said, if you're in need of a transmission or an engine, you need to ask for Jasper by name. I've been putting them in my customers' cars for decades I have them in a shop vehicle of ours that is pushing 200,000 miles. And I just love that it has a 3 year 100,000 mile warranty. I don't have to worry about it. And if I decide to sell the shop vehicle, that warranty goes with it. But the reason why I did install it is because it was cheaper. To install a Jasper transmission in the shop vehicle than it was to purchase a new or a newer used vehicle in its place. So remember, Jasper engines and transmissions. Now let's get on with the show and give Pablo a call and a little automotive history of how it all started out. How you doing, Pablo?
1: Well, hi, Pam. Doing fine.
0: Good. You know, we always like to do a little automotive history with you because you are just so well-versed with this stuff. And we were talking about transmissions and actually how the transmissions are going from manual to automatic.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, automatic transmissions are the thing now. Uh, But you know what? I can't. Say too much about automatic transmissions without saying a little bit about manual transmissions. Uh, and for our for our younger listeners out there, you need to know that until the early fifties, most cars were equipped with manual transmissions. Yes, Where? Yeah, and, and some had what they called uh, a semi-automatic, uh, but they still had a, a clutch. So yeah. Learning how to drive was a lot tougher. Um, Yeah.
0: But, you know, back then it was a lot tougher to text and shift at the same time. Well. So maybe they need to be bringing them back because then (laughs) the kids won't be so prone to do that. (laughs) Because you have two choices. You're either moving or you're not. You have to really pay attention to shift.
1: Well, you know, the fact of the matter is uh, people put so much emphasis on this texting nowadays Hey, maybe that's why they're the. Maybe that's why the manual transmission is going away. You know.
0: Well, you know, I actually had a customer of mine find me a car with a manual transmission for her granddaughter, so she wouldn't text and drive. True story. True story. Yeah.
1: I don't know about that. They're going to do it no matter What you know? She'll find a way. I'm i for sure. I don't think some of these. Uh, younger people, I don't think they can breathe if they don't. If they're not texting. <laughs> but anyway, that's I'm for sorry. another day. Uh, <laughs> let me tell you. Let me tell you that yes. the, the first automatic transmissions uh, were developed uh, by General Motors uh, for cars during the 1930s, and, and and they were introduced for the 1940 Oldsmobile model year. Actually, they were the first one delivered was. October of 1939, uh, oh. but but they, they called these transmissions uh, the hydromatic. Um, they were also installed on the GM-built tanks during World War II. Really? Yeah, and, and after yeah. the war, well, GM marketed them as being battle-tested. And, you know, they weren't lying about it. (laughs) It was
0: true. (laughs) It definitely wasn't false advertising, was it? Right.
1: It was no false advertising. That was true. But, you know, something else that a lot of mm -hmm. people don't know, Uh, between, like, between 1940 and 1950, uh, many other automakers, they used, they got that transmission from GM and installed it in in their vehicles. And I'll give you an example of that. Uh, for Lincoln. Mm Mm-hmm uh for for some years they they used uh the hydromatic yes they did because they they just they they were not tooled up uh, they were not set up to to make these transmissions you know uh-huh and and that's the reason why they started uh doing these things and uh, the fact of the matter is i got to tell you a little something Actually, it was Cadillac, the branch uh, of GM uh, Cadillac. Right. They are the ones that went and put all the engineers together to build the transmission. But when the GM Corporation, they got together and said, "Uh uh-uh, we're not going to install that thing. On the Cadillac, because if something goes wrong, we don't want to stay in the good name of Cadillac. And because they were selling a lot more Oldsmobiles, they <laughs> installed it on the Oldsmobile. And guess what? Uh, who would have known? But uh, that was it. People liked it. Wow. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, they do that practice today. Foreign and domestic automotive manufacturers actually steal each other's plans, That's so right. to speak. That's and right. use things on their vehicles they didn't otherwise For example, I know of one very, very, very well-known Asian automotive manufacturer that uses a Ford transmission design.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's right. So they Uh, still do that. But yeah, during those times, these automatic transmissions, they were like the the new technology, you know, of the time. And so, yeah. Uh, Now, here's the thing. Surprisingly, many of the mechanisms and technologies that make the modern automatic transmission operate were already in use during the rather lengthy transformation of the manual transmission. Um, yeah, can you believe that? Well, just an example. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, the transmission bands oh, and, and yes. planetary okay. gears mm-hmm. were they were used on the manual transmission for the uh, Ford Model T. Uh, I don't remember yes. from what year to what year, but they did use those components. And and every automatic transmission uh, has planetary gears, Mm -hmm. and and most of them, they do have bands. Um, Also, the hydraulic coupling or torque converter, they were used much earlier, I mean much earlier applications. And I got to tell you, more surprising, these technologies were first developed in the early 1900s in Germany for use in marine applications. I didn't know that. But yeah, well, I yeah, yeah, we 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 will give huh. them a little credit on that, you know, <laughs> because ho- hopefully they'll give us credit for for many many innovations that they got from our inventors and and engineers of here. Of course. But uh but I got to tell you to me the most important part of the automatic transmission is the torque converter.
0: So, what about the lock-up torque converter? You know, that was quite an achievement.
1: Yeah, well, and you want me to explain how this thing works? <laughs> sure. Well, I'll do my best. <laughs> this thing is part of the automatic transmission, uh, but but it is a separate piece, uh, and it is mounted between the transmission and the engine. Now, this torque converter takes place of the old clutch, and basically... Uh, this is a hollow metal shell, more like a donut, without the hole. <laughs> well, it's got the hole yeah. for
0: the the shaft there, but yeah, it's yeah, solid. Yeah, yeah. But
1: uh, you know, it got a it got a whole hydraulic fluid fluid in there.
0: It's like a glazed, but it's
1: filled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fine and then <laughs> I'll go with that. But anyway, inside, inside, it has two main parts. One is called the impeller. And the other called the turbine. Now, you can think of these two parts as a couple of fans uh, mounted very close to each other. Um, now, these fans are submerged in hydraulic fluid, and one is bolted to the back of the engine, and the second fan is bolted to the transmission input shaft.
0: Right.
1: Now, as you can imagine, when you start the engine, One of these fans starts turning and pushing hydraulic fluid through the other, which, in terms, wants to start turning too. But if you apply the brakes while the car is in gear and you're at the stop, the one connected to the transmission stops turning. But what happens when you release the brakes? Well, the car starts moving forward and that fan inside, you know, inside the torque converters also mm-hmm. starts turning, uh, and that's why the car starts moving forward. But if you want to visualize this a little more, right. i got to tell you, just take two electric fans, you know, just a normal electric fans around your house, and face them towards each other. Now, turn only one of them to see what happened, and you got it. You know, oh, everybody analogy. knows what happens, right? Yeah.
0: That's right. Yeah, one starts blowing yeah. air
1: on the other one, other one starts turning, although it's not on. Um, okay, but, of course, you know, the torque converter is much more efficient than that and much more complex. And of it's course. Just, I, I, I gave you the very simple version. And the fact is that as long as you understand the principle, the rest of it is all common sense.
0: Why don't you explain about the lockup? torque converter and how that's evolved, too, because that's very, very important.
1: Well, yeah, the the lock-up type torque converter, uh, well, it's nothing more than a hydraulic mechanical clutch that, after approximately 48 miles per hour, it locks the two fans together. You know, the two fans that I mentioned inside the torque converter? Well, it locks them together, And, and for most automobiles, This was used since the early 80s to reduce heat and to gain gas mileage.
0: And the overdrive.
1: Well, yeah, exactly, exactly. The overdrive, absolutely, the overdrive also kicks in. Uh, Usually some some vehicles, the overdrive and the torque converter, they engage pretty much sometimes at the same, depending on how much you're pushing on the gas. But sometimes they engage almost close to each other, you know? Pretty close. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And we're just going to take a brief break. This is about the intermission time and where we recognize AC Delco, AC Delco parts. I put them in my customers' vehicles for decades. I put them in my personal vehicle and my mom's. Of course, you know if mom's not happy, nobody's happy. And we put AC Delco parts in her car as well when it's needed. Remember, you only fix it if it's broken. If it's not, leave it alone. But AC Delco parts, you know, I never have to worry about having a fix with an AC Delco part. They're reliable, they're high quality, they're reasonably priced, and it's what I choose when it's time to have a part replacement. AC Delco parts, ask for them by name. Now, I hope you enjoyed our little break, and thank you to AC Delco. It's time to get back to the show. Let's see what Pablo has to say. So, you know, you're such a plethora of information on this. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your history, how you come to know so much.
1: Well, okay. It was like 1978 uh, when I put myself through automatic transmission school. Wow. Uh, yeah. And it was, it was twice a week at night after work. Wow. And, and, yes, I, I, had, I had already been working on cars as a mechanic. Uh-huh. Uh, for about a year, and as an apprentice, since 73, so that was about another four years before that, wow. uh, something like that. Yeah. So so in 1979, one year later, uh, after I went through, uh, after I put myself through school, one year later in 79, I graduated from the automatic transmission school, and thereafter, uh, I diagnosed and rebuilt many automatic transmissions. Then, in nineteen eighty two uh, I moved to california and in nineteen eighty four I got licensed by the state to perform uh emission related testing and repairs and so I got deeper as I got deeper into this, I started to cut back on automatic transmissions mm-hmm. and uh well, you got
0: into the ground
1: floor of that well yeah but you you have to realize that automatic transmissions when you, when when you rebuild automatic transmissions and and diagnose them, it's very Um, Mm time-consuming. Because, I mean, if you're going to rebuild an automatic transmission, in those days I used to pull them out myself. And and then uh, after you are off the car, which is a job in itself, then you would start tearing this whole thing and inspecting every piece as you were taking it apart and making notes as to what you needed. And, uh, and, And then... Uh, after you got everything you needed, you started putting this whole thing back together. Then back into the car. Then after you got done with all these, then you had to do some kind of adjustment and test drive. And oh yeah, this 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 like this would be more like a whole day long thing. Yeah. And uh, but anyway, uh, in '97, I moved back to Florida, and. I remember that. Boy, yeah, you remember that because yeah. I've been working for you ever since. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, although I no longer rebuild automatic transmissions, mm-hmm. I keep up with the technology and my ASC certifications. And, uh, well, just just not too long ago, uh, the other day, I had a van here with some electronic problem and uh, for the automatic transmission. And after diagnosing the thing, well, it turned out to be something they call uh, an output speed sensor. We installed it, and it was fine. So, yeah, I, and I still, we still do the, and you know, but this is for our listeners, uh, uh, I still uh, do the normal services on the transmissions, and from time to time, I still replace uh, leaky seals and things like that.
0: What would you say has changed on the automatic transmissions since you started working on them in the 70s? Compared to today,
1: <laughs> well, uh, on cars and light trucks, most of them only have four, uh, three forward speeds. Now, many vehicles got like four forward speeds, and some large SUVs got six forward speeds. Um, I already mentioned I already mentioned the lockup type torque converter, and, and although not new, because I gotta tell you. Uh, in 1949, a uh, 1949 Packard had it. Well, a lot of people don't even know that Packard was a, a brand-name car. It was an automaker uh, back in, during those years. But, yeah, Packard.
0: Very, very uh, efficient, very, how would you say, ahead of its time.
1: Uh, they were ahead of their time, uh, yes, yes. Yeah, and if you can believe that, they had a lock-up torque converter then, and I'm sure there was no electronics in it. I'm sure it was all mechanical, purely mechanical, but... Um, this thing fell out of favor with the consumer for many years, and then in the late seventies to early eighties, they started to reappear. Uh, now it's fairly much a uh, universal, you know, globally. Right. But uh, I gotta tell you that the most noticeable change and the one I disliked for many years. Uh, has been the electronic control transmission, <laughs> yeah well you know, oh, I know this is the thing that to me you know and to me, at the time when they started building these electronic transmissions, at the time they each automaker they had their transmissions already that they they had already worked all the bugs out of them. You know, and they were working very well, and and we had already learned how to work on these things, and and their problems and whatever. Suddenly, they they come up with all this electronic control stuff and computers controlling these solenoids and control and solenoids controlling the clutches and you know and this and the other. And of course, so for many years, for that reason, I didn't like them too much, and I still don't like them too much.
0: But I understand. Fa- no, I know. The- I'm not yeah.
1: crazy about it either. Yeah, these things are I, are definitely more favorable towards the manufacturer than they are, I think, for the consumer. Yeah. But but no, they do have their 100%. merits yeah, too. Yeah, you yeah. know, because um, these electronically controlled uh, things, and they allow um, the computer to to be more to to show through the computer. The car can have better performance and have better fuel economy as well, mm-hmm. um, because they can control the upshifts and downshifts a lot easier, or how hard or how soft. Right. And yeah. And and if there's a problem with it, sometimes they just come up with a reprogram, they reflash the the computer, mm-hmm. and and push a different program in there, and they correct many of the faults that way.
0: Yes, they do, don't they? Yeah. You know, speaking of the electronic controlled transmissions now. What about the uh, CVT? Well... You got one in your car.
1: There you go. Yeah. That, that's another one. That, that is another one. Good point. Now, yeah, the, the continuously variable transmission, or CVT... CVT, yes. Yeah. Uh, this transmission can provide better fuel economy than a conventional automatic transmission by by enabling the engine to run at its most efficient revolutions per minute for a range of vehicle speeds alternatively it can be used to maximize the performance of a vehicle by allowing the engine to turn at the rpms at which produces you know peak power oh, and very
0: efficient
1: i yes. got to tell you i have yeah you're right i do have one of these that i bought um, made by GM. Mm-hmm. I bought this thing about six years or so ago, and when I when I got this thing, uh, it was so weird, you know, <laughs> the way it was working because, you know, you're used to feeling the upshifts, and yeah. suddenly and this thing was just continuously, you know. But I got to tell you, it was it's surprisingly to me up to this day, when I punch the gas on this car, it really shows a lot of power. And it gives me great gas mileage, um, and, and, and it has it has just a four cylinder under the hood. It's just a 2.2 liter, but it feels like a a good size V6 when I punch it, wow. and it's all because of that transmission.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, you know, servicing them, boy, that fluid's expensive, isn't it?
1: Mm. Whoa, yeah, yeah, That's it's, uh, yeah. For those transmission, that is something else, and. It used to be like 30,000 miles, uh, you know, the, the services, intervals for the transmissions. Right. But nowadays, uh, we're using much better transmission fluids, and, and the recommended service intervals greatly uh, differ between one manufacturer to another. And this is the reason why we refer to the maintenance schedule uh, for each manufacturer. Now, one thing that I strongly suggest is that when the time comes for you to service your transmission, request a service with total fluid exchange. Oh yeah. Yeah, and the reason is simple. I'm going to tell you. When we do a normal automatic transmission service, we remove the pan, replace the filter mm-hmm. and add and we add the four or five quarts of fluid. Now, this type of service only drains about 60% of the total fluid capacity. The rest stays inside the Tor converter. Remember the, <laughs> the donut-shaped thing? Yes. Okay, okay. The jelly-glazed, yes. Yeah. Now, now, this thing, um, yeah, yeah, right, the donut <laughs> shape with the two fans inside. Yes. Um, this thing holds probably about 40%. Of the dirty fluid that may have been used for like fifty or sixty thousand miles, and guess what happens when the minute you start the engine, the old fluid and the new fluid they'll start mixing together, so you know since this is not the type of fluid that that you change often, like oil changes you know for the engine right this these things. It used to be thirty thousand miles now, although we, we go to the manufacturer 's recommended intervals, I, I would have to say uh, they are anywhere between fifty and a hundred thousand miles, depending on the manufacturer so because it 's not the type of uh, you know service that you do all the times it 's better to spend more money and do that transmission fluid with total fluid exchange
0: exactly and you know somebody told me once about doing a transmission service on those if not exchanging all the fluid it's like uh taking a shower with dirty socks on. You know, it's <laughs> true. It's a true story. And I just looked at it and I says, okay, yeah, that's pretty good. It's well, about says it all
1: Okay. Yeah. Well okay
0: So yeah, it's very important to change all the fluid out. People don't realize it. Yeah, Even though it's expensive Uh, It's very cheap in the long run that you're not doing a transmission.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: (laughs) Well, Pablo, it's a pleasure as always. You're such a wealth of information. We appreciate you taking the time and chatting with us today.
1: Well, not a problem, Pam. Any time. I I hope I I shed a little light on the subject. Oh, definitely. (laughs) Okay.
0: (laughs) And we'll talk to you soon.
1: Okay. So for me, back to the trenches.
0: There you go. (laughs) We'll see you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. You know, it's always fun to talk with Pablo, and you always learn something, every single time. Whether you're out in the shop or just talking about automotive history, you always learn something from Pablo. Thank you, Pablo, for taking the time and talking to us about transmissions. And thank you for tuning in to Car Care for the Clueless. Remember, we're here to keep money in your wallet and to make you a more savvy car care consumer. Don't forget to check out our webpage, CarCareFortheClueless.com all spelled out. And we got that forum coming up. And of course we have our latest book coming out, Car Care for the Clueless, Successful Used Car Buying 101. That's right. Everything you wanted to know and more about buying a used or a new car and how to keep the deck in your favor. Again, that's Car Care for the Clueless, Successful Used Car Buying 101. And look for it on a bookshelf or on Amazon.com. Of course, our website, carcarefortheclueless.com, in a week or two. Really excited about that. In fact, we have our first book signing at Barnes & Noble in Fort Myers, Florida, and that will be October 20th. As more details arise, I'll let you know about that. And remember, the books, the book series, this show, it's all about you and making you a savvy car care consumer. Until next week, take care. Thanks for joining us today. Please make sure to come back next week for another edition of Car Care for the Clueless. And don't forget to look for Pam's book, Car Care for the Clueless, or How to Make Money While Maintaining a Vehicle. You'll find it on her website. See you next week.